everybody. Grab your Bible and a pencil and a journal and maybe even a cup of coffee and join in on our conversation. But first, I would like for you to write this down. Romans 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Hey everyone, welcome to Write This Down with Dot Bowen. My name is Kara, I am Dot's daughter, and we sit down together every week and we talk through truths and scripture. And in this episode, we are talking through Romans 7. And if you missed last week's episode, this is kind of a continuation in some ways, because we talked through Romans 6 last week, and it really kind of goes together in some ways. But in this episode, we talk through what does it mean to you know live by the Spirit or live by the flesh. And I mean, those words can be so confusing, and we may have confused you even more. So if we did, feel free to reach out and you know ask us any questions but we are so glad that you're here and we would love for you to pull up a chair and join in our conversation hey Kara, we are in Romans 7 i mean of all verses in 7 to read i know that was not that's not what i thought you were going to pick i feel like it's so a confusing bad, one a little so bit bad. i know it is confusing and it is an amazing chapter and i can tell you it is confusing. Yeah, I mean, that's Paul for you, because Paul, yeah, Paul's like, do the thing you don't want to do, you do the mm-hmm. thing, you keep doing it that you don't want to do, but you do the thing you don't want to do. Why do you do the thing you don't want to do when you don't want to do it? Do you want to do it? What? <laughs> that's what it sounds like. I, I, that's what it sounds like to read Paul. I, I don't like. know. I've never <laughs> talked to Paul. I've never heard his conversation about, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. That's what he talks about in this chapter. I'm just saying it can be confusing. It's like, what are you, like, you do the thing you don't want to do, but you say you do want to do it, but you don't want to do it. You know, it's like, what? I know. It's kind of like, sounds like a tongue twister at times. Not really. It sounds like my life. There's things I want to do, but I don't do it. And then there's things I don't want to do, I do it. I mean, if there's one chapter in the entire Bible, the majority of everyone in this conversation can relate to, it will be Romans 7. You know, I heard I, yeah, I heard a professor say that he believed, and again, I don't know where he got his information because he wasn't that old and he had not talked to Paul either. But he had he had the belief that when Paul was writing about this struggle of sin and wanting to do what he didn't want to do, when you put it in the context of everything that Paul wrote about it, it just was like so off the wall because Paul, you know, said. You know, it doesn't seem like Paul it. would struggle with, like, it yeah. seems like he would do what he want, whatever he does not want to do, he seems like he would have the strength to not do it. Right. Well, and he Based knew that. Based off how he yeah. writes. Yeah. And because in Romans 8, when we get to it, that's what exactly what he talks about, is that we have the freedom to live in the spirit that overcomes everything, that we're victorious. And, and again, I know that he didn't talk to Paul because uh, he's not that old, but he said that he believed that when Paul was writing Romans 7, that he was referring to himself before he was a believer. He said that based oh, on all of Paul's that would be interesting. writing, yeah, he said based on Paul's writing, like, you know, you have chapter 6 where it says the power of sin is, is done away with because of Jesus. So the presence of sin is still there, but the power of sin is, 
has been done away with and that, you know, we really don't have to sin unless we choose to. And then in chapter 8, he talks about, you know, the freedom that we have as believers of walking in the Spirit and being able to live a life of pleasing to God. And here is 7, right in the middle of 6 and 8, that talks about the law of sin God's law, there's a moral law, there's a law of the Ten Commandments and the law, you know, that he gave to Moses and to the Israelites. And then he also in chapter 7 talks about the law of sin, where in chapter 6 he talks about Jesus, you know, defeating the power of sin. And then 7, he talks about the law of sin. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Again, I can understand where the professor is coming from. I, I wouldn't you know, personally teach that because I don't know that to be a fact. Yeah, well, I think it's just speculation. We don't, mm-hmm. a lot of things that we read in Scripture, we probably don't know for a fact. It's just, we, because there's a lot of interpretation that goes into Scripture is what I'm saying. Right, there um, is. And not all of our ter- interpretations are correct. And actually I was talking about that in my last seminary class that I'm I in know. right now, about to graduate next week, which is yep. very exciting. Mm-hmm. But... We were talking about the inerrancy of the mm-hmm. Bible, which mm-hmm. basically means that, and we're not going to get into all this in here, but the inerrancy of the Bible, which basically means just that there's no error, like E-R-R-O-R, mm-hmm. no error in the Bible. And there are different sides of the spectrum on that. And so we were just talking through that in general. But yeah, and that's one thing where, you know, my professor was saying how he believes in the authority of the Bible, but a lot of times because we are interpreting it, we take our interpretations of the Bible as the authority. But we like basically like we all we kind of need to always approach that we're probably wrong about something. And, you know, that's where the Lord will hopefully show us where we're wrong. You know, like we're not gonna always be right in how we interpret the Bible. Well, you know, I, I think if you study the Bible in the correct way that you're supposed to do when you start start with the observation and just what does right. it say and don't put that's what, what I'm you saying. Think it said. I, I guess but the interpretation of the Bible is based on your observation, but it, it it takes into account all the Bible, the context, what was going on at that time, what Paul or any of the writers, what their intent was, what their message right. was trying to get across. So the application could be totally different, but I don't know that your observation would be wrong. It could be because the inter- um, the interpretation, mm-hmm. like that, like that professor interpreting like okay Paul may have written Romans 7 before he was a believer like the, that portion of Romans 7 he could have written that before he was a believer or not written that he could have been referencing before he was a believer like that totally would make sense but we don't know that like that's an interpretation that we can't stake a claim on of like oh we know 100% that that's what Paul because Paul didn't tell us you know like that's reading that's reading in between the lines which is not a bad thing it's just one of those things where we just that we just go with scripture, be like, okay, this is based off of what we've seen in other of Paul's writings. And, you know, that would totally make sense, but it doesn't like, that's not the truth that we have to claim. The truth that we claim is that a lot of times we do what we don't want to do because of our flesh and, you know, all of that. So that was my mm-hmm. point of like, it just, I think we have to be careful in how we interpret scripture and how we, you know, are we putting our own thoughts and opinions in it or are we taking it like you're saying, of looking at context, looking at the writer, looking at, you know, is it aligned with the, the whole intentions of God? And, and, yeah. Yeah. And I would say that the professor who said 
you know, I I believe that Paul was writing this and referring to himself when he was before he was a believer. Right. I believe that he said that through the application. I think yeah. that he was looking at the application part of it of how Paul was struggling with his flesh and wanting to do what's right because he's such a Pharisee and mm-hmm. he wanted to live by the law and he mm-hmm. wanted to be perfect by the law. And I think that this professor, again, I hate to speak for the professor or Paul, but when I heard that and and, and, he, and I heard the professor describe how he felt this, it would be more toward the end of the application of the scripture more than the interpretation and the observation of what yeah, you're talking I'm not, about. Yeah, I'm not talking about... I, I'm not saying step. anything against. No, I'm not saying anything about the Bible steps and what your that professor. I'm just talking about. It just reminded me of my class that I was in yesterday mm-hmm. and how we do need to like. I do believe that Scripture is all true, right. but there is a lot of interpretation that we tend to take freedom in that is not always true. Right, and there's a lot of application that can be applied in different ways. Right, but we also take. Liberty in applying that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We but you know. but Paul, going back to how that professor th- believes, or his assumption is that Paul was referencing in in Paul's own life back when he was, you know, referencing back before he was a believer. Do you think that he is like we as believers still struggle with this? I feel like because I feel like I'm a believer, and I sometimes catch myself doing things that. I don't want to do that mm-hmm. I'm doing, you know, whether that being, and sometimes it's not these like big, you know, I think when I was younger reading these verses, I thought of them as like big moral things. Like mm-hmm. that's not always the case. Sometimes it's like, oh, I know I need to be trusting God in this area, but I'm not like, why mm-hmm. can I not trust God in this area? Or why can I not let go? Why can I not forgive? Or, you know, like that's how I read it now at mm-hmm. where I'm at in my personal faith journey is it's like, okay, what, what heart issues am I not? Am I like, oh, I know I need to do this, but I'm not doing it, you know? Uh, yeah, and I want to say this, uh, because I want to do true Bible study here, in the fact that really Romans 7 has very little to do with the very things I want to do, the things I do. That is in there, but that's not what chapter 7 is about. Chapter 7 is referring to the freedom of being free from the law. And so he was talking about it's more theology, it's more doctrine, where chapter 6 is talking about that Christ came and he freed us from the power of sin. And then in chapter 7, he is referring to that we are free from the authority of the law, that the law never was meant to save us. The law was given by God to live and how to live and how to live a life that was pleasing to God. But in the Old Testament, when the law was given by Moses, they still had to sacrifice the animals. They still had to shed the blood. They still still had to go, you know, and confess their sins and shed the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of their sins. So the law was never there to save us. And what Paul is saying here, even though he does use an application of the struggle between the flesh and the power of the law of sin. And what he's saying is that the law of sin is is a bad thing. 
the law of sin is a bad thing. But what is God's, the law of sin? The law of sin is our flesh. It is those desires, those earthly desires that we want apart from God's will. Where Give us some examples. Lust. He uses covenantness. I, I thought it was interesting that Paul would, out of all the commandments that God gave, God Paul talks about, you know, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what covenantness. So the law that God gave that was good, because he talks about that in Romans 7, is as a mirror that it was used to show us that we are a sinner and we need a Savior. And so I thought it was interesting that Paul, out of all the commandments, uses covetousness. So what he's saying is that the law searches and and shows and reflects what's really is in the par- in the heart of a person. A covenant is a heart issue. It's a, a bad intent. It's a lustful desire. I'm wanting mm-hmm. something that I shouldn't have, or I'm wanting something that's not of mine. And, you know, those are the kind of things that Paul was talking about, which I think he later on in chapter 7 talks about, how good the law is. So the law of God was a good thing. It was God's way of telling man how to live. But the law brought into man, it it, it caused man to arouse the sin of man, it, it, the desire to not want to be told what to do. And so the law was used like as a tool to remind us that apart from God, we are going to, you know, deal with this desire in us to want to live our own life or do what we want to do or go after our own desires, satisfy our own desires. And that's why I thought it was very important about chapter 7, even though we connect and grab hold of what Paul was saying, the very thing I want to do, I don't want to do, because we can relate to that. But in reality, what chapter 7 is really about is reminding us that apart from the Holy Spirit, which is in chapter 8, we can't live by the law. And, you know, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked how to be saved, and he told him to go sell all of his, you know, possessions and give it to the poor. And it wasn't that being rich and having great possessions that came between this man wanting to follow Jesus, but it was his covetousness. It was his greed. It was a heart issue. I don't want to do that. He said, I have a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to go and just give it away. And he walked away. So, you know, that was the rich young ruler talking to Jesus. I don't think Jesus was trying to point out to this man that something he would do would cause him to be saved. Rather, it was a heart issue is what he valued and loved above wanting to follow Jesus. And so I think that, you know, as I, over the years, as we've talked, how important 6, 7, and 8 has been in my own life. And the first thing was realizing that I was free from the power of sin. I don't have to continue to do what Romans 7 is saying over and over again and struggle with Mm -hmm. it. But 7 does uh, remind us that we will have a struggle. Right. And I, I know we'll talk about eight next week, but I've always heard, or not even really heard, but I was always taught that Romans eight is the response to seven. 
It's it like is. Ro- mm-hmm. Romans 7 is this like, ah, uh, this, you see the struggle in flesh. And it's mm-hmm. like, how do I, like, how do I do this basically? Like, I'm such a wretched man. And mm-hmm. then Romans 8 is that answer, which again, I know we're not talking about Romans 8, but I think that is important to know as you're reading chapter 7 is, I mean, he literally says at the end of chapter 7, wretched man that I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and we don't have to live in that, but I do think we can't fully understand you know, who we are in Christ if we don't know who we are in our flesh as well. We don't mm-hmm. live in that. We don't sit like, oh, I'm such a wretched person and self-loathe and, you know, self-pity right. and all the things. But I think we have to fully embrace knowing both of those things, um, which I have a question Okay, that I just thought of is, and I, I think I know this answer, but I, just for the sake of, if there's someone else listening that is maybe asking or wondering this, we're talking about, you know, the flesh and the spirit. And obviously mm-hmm. Jesus was human. He was in flesh. And I know that we talk about flesh, but obviously Jesus was not born of the flesh, which I think is why he was had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. Like he wasn't conceived in the way that we know conception between mm-hmm. man and a woman. Because those are different things, correct? I just feel like for the person who's like, oh, wait, but, you know, Jesus had flesh. Jesus was in the flesh, but Jesus did not. Like, can you just explain that difference really quick, just in case someone that, because I think that can be confusing, because it's like, whoa, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. Well, when you talk about the flesh, and you're talking about the desires of the flesh, James talks about the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust. These are the things that it's talking about this fleshly desires, these ungodly desires. Flesh, like in Romans 7, is like this earthly part of a person that represents the lust and the and the desires, which is in Ephesians 2, 3. The flesh is contrary to the Spirit of God. So those things, that was not true of God. It was not true of Jesus, is what I'm saying. Right, I, it does I know say, that. But... For, it does say in 1 John 4, 2, that Jesus was described as being in the flesh, but that's talking about being a human being. What we're talking about is the fleshly desires, the ungodly desires, and Jesus did not have those. Yes, I know, but I, it just can be, I think it can be confusing for someone who you hear these yeah, terminologies that sure. we say of like the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, and I have flesh, like mm-hmm. the literal epidermis flesh, so did Jesus, but yet we know Jesus did not sin. So I think that can be confusing. And so that's why I just wanted to like differentiate that of it's not this flesh. Like, it's not just because of this he human, was a human flesh. Being. Right. It was because he was born of the Holy Spirit and he was not born through, you know, a man and a woman, which I know that sounds weird, born of the Holy Spirit, but he was because Mary was a virgin. Like, that is that difference, which I think is important to make because a lot of people can be like, oh, well, like, if you think of flesh as just being like your literal epidermis, like your skin, it's like, mm-hmm. that's not what it's referring to. No, it's not. And And again, that's different words all throughout the scripture. You know, again, we don't know Greek and Hebrew as well, but in Greek especially, because it talks about the flesh. In John, it talks about it. In Galatians, it talks about it. In Ephesians. So, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about the flesh, but it's the the lust of the eyes. That's those fleshly, earthly desires that Jesus did not have because he's holy, not because he was born of a virgin. He did not have the sin nature. He was not born like out of Adam and Eve, 
out of the sin nature, and that's what you're talking about. But because God is holy, and because He uh, was God, yet He became man, He He became man because of the earthly body, but right. He didn't become man like we are. He didn't right. become mankind, humankind, you know, people, right. like a person like you and I. He was still he God was, in the flesh. He was still God right. in an earthly body, but He did not have the earthly desires to fulfill his lust or his he didn't have well the, he was still tempted because i mean that satan tempted him and i was about to say that it, it he had the temptation but a struggle is not a sin right right but what the lust of the flesh and the lust that arouses the sin in us is that desire to want to disobey god Jesus always wanted to obey God. So this lust or the struggle that we have is that we want to do our own thing. We want to be God or we want right. to don't want someone to tell us what to do. Right. Jesus was so, like, always under this uh, the authority of God. He always right. so wanted he to please the Father. Had because t- it does say in scripture that he was tempted like we we're tempted. Like he he like he understands our temptation. He understands the struggle because he was a human on earth. But it was it it looked different for him because he was not born of man and woman. Like he was not born of flesh. He was not born in this sin nature. He was. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's a better way to say. It. He's not born in the sinful in sinful nature. So, because God has always been. Jesus was always holy. Jesus was always God. Right. But right. when it says that he struggled with it, or he understands our struggle, he understands how weak a person can be. I don't know that Jesus struggles with it like we do. We want to do our own thing. We want to satisfy our only needs and desires. Jesus always wanted to do what the Father said. He always wanted holiness. And he, you know, uh, combated Satan with Scripture. And, you know, he talked about you're only to worship one God. And, and of course, like you said, in the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted, the angels came and ministered to him. So it wasn't right. a just a fly by night. I mean, it was a, a struggle, yes. Well, even like he under, like whenever I think of that with, with him understanding us, I think of it like he understands what it means to be physically depleted, like with hunger mm-hmm. or with being thirsty, like he was yes. in the desert 40 years like you just referenced. But also, I always would think of it in terms of like he knows what it's like to be betrayed by the very closest of people to him, you know, like with Judas. Like he knows, you know, what it's like to lose someone he loves, like with Lazarus, Mm -hmm. you know, watching people be, or not watching, but feeling pain with the people around him. And, you know, like those kind of things, like he understands in such a, a deep and personal way because he experienced that here on earth, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I, not like, I don't think of it in terms of like, oh, Jesus struggles with, you know, gambling, like someone wanting to, I don't know, like. I don't even think Jesus struggled with wanting to do it. I just think he struggled in his flesh of understanding this is a struggle. This is hard as a person. And I understand how someone weak, someone that was humanly. Well, because there's a very real thing to, when you don't have food or water, like even just those physical needs being mm-hmm. depleted of, like, the, I mean, the enemy get the, if we are tired and hungry, yeah, 
the enemy, like that is, that is fertile ground for the enemy to come in and attack. So mm-hmm. I think like even though Jesus, yeah, like you're saying, would have experienced that differently than us, but he also understands with like, man, like how weak he would, how weak he felt when he didn't mm-hmm. have water or food after 40 days or, you know, like that. I don't know, like I bet that, like those kind of things, I bet he understood, like you're saying. Absolutely. And it's not wrong. It's not a sin for Jesus to want food. It's not, a, you know, sin to want, you know, water. It, it, the, the hardest part that Satan really tempted Jesus with was to, uh, he said, I'll give you all the kingdom and all the earth. And the the heart of God and the heart of Jesus was to want the world to love him, but that would have been Satan's way, not God's way. It was not mm-hmm. time. God, I mean, God was going to give and will give Jesus the world and the kingdom, and people will all, everybody will bow down right. before him. Satan wanted Jesus to bypass God's will, God's plan, and do it Satan's way, and do it right then. And I would say that anything that would tug at the heart of Jesus would be that temptation to want everyone to bow down and to love him and to know him. And that was what Satan was tempting him to do. I find it interesting on this temptation, as we're talking about it, it has nothing to do with Romans 7, but I find it so interesting that Jesus never said, this is not your kingdom. What does he say? He said, you should not tempt the Lord that God. You worship him only. And he clearly says later on about Satan, this is his kingdom. He is mm-hmm. the, you know, the ruler of the air. He is, you know, this world now is under the control of Satan, even though God is allowing. Right. Oh, we, yeah. I think we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah, like God's allowing Satan to rule earth, but God is, he's, Satan is just God's puppet. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's doing whatever God wants him to do. Right. So it's like, but, yeah. yeah. A kid running around a house, it's like, yeah, that's his house, but it, his parents own the house. <laughs> it's not that's the right. kid's house. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at, for a moment at time, the kid thinks he owns it. Right. Yeah. Right. Kind of like that, my room. It's like, oh, it's my room. It's like, mm, it's not though. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and this is the thing, I think, that, you know, for us as, as we're in this conversation about why is this important to us? Why, why is this, you know, mean? I think that in Romans 7, to me, Kara, what that spoke to me about was not necessarily, yes, I can identify in life and go, I know I, you know, I struggle too, as if that's not a sin. It's struggling is not a sin, but it's, you know, laughing at it, going, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? Like, I'm excusing my behavior. I'm not, uh, I understand why we tease about that. And like I said at the very beginning, probably anybody that's walking on the face of earth can really relate to those words. But I think for me, what this means and helps me so much, is that God's law and His commandments wasn't given to keep me in bondage, but to keep me free. God's laws was there so that I would be free, that I would not be controlled by sin. I wouldn't be controlled by the destructiveness of sin. God's law was always there to protect me. God's laws does not benefit God at all. God's still God. You know, I just think that as I looked at this, that what's really dangerous is that law of those, you know, it's kind of like the forbidden fruit, like 
You can have everything in the garden, but just one tree. One part of one tree, you can have all the other trees. And of course, we concentrate on the one tree that we can't have. And I think that God's laws were written so that we, as people of God, would depend and know that we need a Savior, know that we need uh, a God to rescue us and to love us and empower us. It's not there to put us in bondage. And I think that what really realized is that when I see God's law or I see what I know that God wants me to do, let's just take for you know forgiveness. Like clearly Jesus said that we should forgive. Jesus didn't say for me to forgive because it was going to hurt me or he wants me to live with a heartache. God told me to forgive so that I'd be free, that I would not be in control by the unforgiveness that would control me. And that law, though, when God says something and he gives us a rule and gives us something to do, what Paul is saying is because we don't want to do it, it causes us to realize inside how sinful we are. And I think that that's what I've got to look at when I look at some of the things that Jesus encourages me to do as a follower of Jesus. Those are for my benefit. And if I don't want to do it, what's arousing in me is sin. And that's where it's very dangerous. And that that to me is what Romans 7 really did you know, stick out to me. For one thing, I didn't know that the power of sin was done away with when Jesus died. And then then when I read 7, for many years, I just didn't realize that God's law was for my protection and what and the how I viewed God's law, not wanting to obey it, would arouse the sin to be at the struggle and the temptation. Does that make sense? I'm not sure, but I also okay. was thinking about something else. <laughs> I'm glad we're having but, a conversation. I wish whoever no, I else is on this conversation I no, could talk to. I was, I had a, I was just thinking, I was thinking about something else, but I was also thinking about what you're saying. I had a lot going through my mind. I do, I think, yes, it just is a confusing concept. That's why it's like we said this at the beginning. It's like, Paul, it's like, um, like, what are you even saying? I was just, I was thinking about the end of seven and how so much of this, and we, it is in our heart, but so much of this starts in our mind. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he talks more about this in eight, and we'll talk about this more later. But I was just looking at the end of seven while you were talking, which is why I was listening, but I was also like thinking about what he was saying at the end of seven as well. And with him saying, like, I don't, yeah, like, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, like, that is, it's the sin that is the, the fleshly worldly desires that's, that's doing this. Like it is not because as children of God, like that is not um, us doing it. It is our, I mean, we are doing it, but you know, it's our flesh um, is the sin that's doing it within us. But I like how he says, I find it to be, because I think this is actually is important when he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, which I feel like I see this around with everyone around me. Like, you know, people who are trying to 
trying to do the right thing. And it like seems like an uphill battle because it is, it is an uphill battle. Like the enemy does not want us. Like mm-hmm. he is. And I was thinking about that when we were talking about, you know, Jesus being tempted in the desert, you know, all the things like, if you feel like evil is close at hand, there's probably a reason, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a good reason, like a reason in terms of, I kind of take it as a compliment sometimes, you know, like it's like, okay, I'm doing something right. If the enemy is choosing to like, choosing to spend his time on me, but it continues to go on of just how, I delight in the law of God and my inner being, which I think is also important. It's kind of like deep within us, like that desire. And that goes back to like being the spirit. Well, and what, um, are you saying, what he's saying is the law is good. You know, I delight in wait, the, what law, law? the law. The law of God. He's saying oh, yeah, the law of God. Good. There's a lot of laws going on right now. So yeah, that's why but I not the law of sin. Lynn, right. Sin causes death. But the law right. of God, that's what I was saying. It's a good thing. And, and it right. was a delay, Yeah, right. There's two different laws going on is what he's saying. Like mm-hmm. there, I find, because he said, I find it to be a law that when I want to do, like that's a law in, its, in and mm-hmm. of itself that, you know. But yeah, it's like I, he's just saying, he just goes on to just the whole, like he's a wretched man. Like I, like deep, deep down within me, I want to do right. But I, I'm, because of, there's a law of the mind, he says. And that's where I think so much of this, like I've written in the caption of like, the mind is what the enemy tries to hold captive. Absolutely. The, and that's what he says, the law waging. It is a law war. waging war against mm-hmm. the law of the mind, making me captive to mm-hmm. the law of sin. Like our captivity to the law of sin, we don't have to choose it. Like that's where it's, it really starts in the mind. And, and I, I think, you know, so many times, and again, this is like a whole nother thing. And it does go a lot into Romans eight of, you know, where you're setting your minds, like, are you, mm-hmm. and we won't get into that now, but because we can't control what comes into our mind, but we can't right. control what stays there, right. which I know I've heard you say so many times. And I think that good, I think that's all of it. It's kind of like, I think that just sums it all up of like, we can't control what comes at us. We can't control the fact that we have, you know, we have this sinful nature. We are, we're surrounded all, by sin. And we're, yeah, it's like, we're in this wretched world. Yeah. <laughs> we're, and that's we're wretched with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But Apart thanks from be Jesus. to God. Right. Yes. But we are though, we, as it goes back to like, we are wretched at, at our, you know, without Jesus. But that without goes, Jesus. he's like, yeah. how, and that's what he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why you really can't, that's why I really don't, I mean, I know you you probably feel the same way. Like, I really don't like it when people just pick Bible verses or chapters even, because it's like without eight, like there is some hope in Romans seven, but yeah, Romans eight is where it really, Mm -hmm. I love Romans eight. I feel like we could do like so many episodes on Mm -hmm. Romans eight. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. But anyway, I just think it's like, yeah, like how can we, how can we be delivered from this horrible law of sin that we're in and the world. And the only answer is Jesus. Jesus. And, you know, I think this too, Kara, I think we live in a world where people think that people are naturally good. Well, they're just yes. a good person. It's like, you and they may that. do good things. They may right. every so often, of course, we don't know the heart and the intent. And that's why I think Paul talked about covetous. I think Paul was like going, you, you might look at someone's actions, but you don't know their heart. You don't know why they're doing it. You don't know the purpose. You don't know. They may be doing something trying to trick you so they take your money. I, you know, I'm not saying we always look at people and not trust them. Yeah, even the point though is we I just don't probably know. would say, 
not trust well, too many people. And but, we're not to judge what's good or evil because we not don't that, know their Because we're not the we're not mm-hmm. the, but we're not the judge. We're not the measure. Like we don't get to determine what's good or evil. That's God right. is who determines. Because I could think something's good and you might disagree, right? Or vice versa. I might think something's mm-hmm. evil and you might disagree, right? So that's what I'm saying. It's like we're not the who are yeah, we? We to don't judge, determine. Do yeah. And yeah. That's, and literally, that's what the temptation that Satan gave Eve. On the tree of the good of good and knowledge, I think God was like, I don't, I didn't give you the choice to choose what was good and evil, and well, she wanted to know what was good and yeah. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. She wanted, to, yeah, yeah, because she wanted to choose and decide. She wanted to know. Yeah, she wanted yeah. to decide what was good and evil, and you're like, no, that's God. Only God does that, and I think we still do that. And I, like you said, we oh, yeah. don't. I'm preaching to the judge. choir for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I, me too. But I'm just saying that what. I think Paul is trying to prove and to get across to the people and, and to us is apart from Christ, you're, you're nothing. You're just dirt. That's we're what Paul's. That's what they, yeah. And we're dead. We're dead man walking, dead woman walking. But with Christ, which we get into chapter eight, we're alive. But what he's saying is that this thing, this, you know, God tells you don't do this. But there's this thing that's going to rouse you up that's going to say, don't tell me what to do. That comes up, and that looks like you are living and that you're free. And what Paul is saying is, no, it doesn't make you free. It kills you. It destroys you. And that's what seven is. So like, you know, don't just laugh around. Don't say, well, I very struggle. I do it, but I don't want to do it. We laugh, and we Paul could be weeping over that for all we know. And I think that for us is that when we see and we feel like God has asked us to do certain things or to abide by what He says and obey Him, trust Him, uh, believe in Him, see His heart, when He encourages us to do that, when the world around us shouts a whole different story, what He's saying, if you don't just trust me, then that's going to arouse the sin in you to want to just go and live the way you want to do it. Be very careful. That's what Paul is saying. Because what appears to be life is actually going well, to destroy you. Yeah. Well, and I think along with that, it's be careful because we are serving two masters as believers yeah. in this world. Like. I mean, I know that it also says you can only serve you one master. Shouldn't. I, I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say we serve two masters. I should say we have two laws running within us. Mm-hmm. Like, and because he, he ends chapter seven saying, "I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with mm-hmm. my flesh I serve the law of sin." And then that's where chapter eight picks up, where it's like, "There's no condemnation. Like, we don't mm-hmm. need to condemn or beat ourselves up over that. We just have to be aware that, yes. like, there is one a war going on." And there are two laws running within us as mm-hmm. believers in this world. And it's, which are you going to, because one's going to try and overtake the other. Or yeah. sin's going to try and overtake the law of mm-hmm. God. But we also have the power of Christ within us as believers to choose to focus on. And that doesn't mean to choose to focus on, you know, the law of God. And I think it's interesting that he says, with my mind, mm-hmm. that's who, that's the one he's choosing to serve. But we also can't ignore the fact that we also have a law of sin running in our flesh, basically. Mm-hmm. But I love how, you know, that's where it's like, don't end there because keep going into eight. And I know we will next week, but it's like, there's no condemnation. He's not mm-hmm. 
condemning us because he knows that we have a law of sin. No, actually, we condemn ourselves. We cause right. ourselves to to deal with the consequences of sin. We, we're choosing that. And I think that you know, what, what we're saying, and I know that that's what I love about the conversation. We can go from one thing to another. That's why we do this. Write this down. It's conversation, not a teaching. It's just, you know, really uh, looking at chapter seven. You know, and I really encourage you as you're uh, in this conversation with us. Like, there's a lot in there, and, and look at it. And and I think that what you know Paul is wanting us to recognize is when we feel like God has asked us to obey Him and to trust Him, and we don't do it, we're we're in a spiritual warfare. And we're dealing with something that what might look like is going to cause us life is actually going to be our demise. It's, it's actually going to bring us pain and heartache. And I think that he was saying, you're not under that kind of law. That's, that's the law of sin. And that's what chapter 6 is about. You've been free from the power of sin. And chapter 7 is saying, it may look like a struggle, but you're free from it. And then chapter right. eight. Well, it I think tells he's saying how. it is a struggle, not just yeah. it looks like it. it's like no, because there's two laws running within you. So it is a struggle. But yeah. take heart because chapter eight's coming. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So next week, join in on our conversation. Cliffhanger. Because, yeah, that's right. Because it, more it does kind of tie it all. Said, but. I know it t- kind of ties it all together. And I really want to encourage uh, everyone to read. Go ahead and read before next week. Uh, chapter 8. I always read 6, 7, and 8 together. I just feel like it just flows. I know that in our Bibles, it's got chapter, but when Paul was writing it, there wasn't chapter 6, 7, and 8. It was just all one, one amazing doctrine and theology that we need to know as believers. If we're going to live a life that is free and a life that is glorifying to God, We've got to know what six, chapter 6, 7, and 8 says. There's just there's no question in my mind. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you could be a part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, you can find Dot on social media at Dot Bowen or visit her website, DotBowen.com. Subscribe, like, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week on Write This Down with Dot Bowen.